Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, now this is the people's pay-per-view so get into the comments ask us your questions uh, and we'll try our best to answer them for you those of you listening later on podcast i'm afraid you're just gonna have to make more effort to listen live um so what have we got today well the mirror has splashed on boris johnson's announcement of a new food strategy in which the strategy appears to be not giving children enough food now, uh, Pippa, this is your story, but apparently there's a bit of an audio problem at the moment. So Pippa's going to reboot her browser and try and join us a bit later. So I can't ask her to take us through this story. So this is going to be interesting. What's happening is the Prime Minister today is launching his food strategy. Now, this is something that he had a chap called Henry Dimbleby, uh, who, yes, is related to those Dimblebys. He had, that, had him look into it several times, okay, as to how we need to feed the nation better. Uh, and he was looking into things like obesity and sugar taxes and salt taxes and how much that needs to be in food, kind of rules and regulations and whether or not and where you need to have government intervention to ensure that people are properly nourished. And there's going to be an announcement about this today. And so Pippa and her colleague Dan Bloom have had some kind of sort of a, a heads up about um, how that's all going to work and how it's going to play out and what's going to come up today. And they say that they've they've uh, been told that more than a million children, 1.1 million, in fact, living in poverty are going to stay hungry today because um, he's going to snub this plan to extend free school meals. Henry Dimbleby said in his policy, in the strategy, that you should extend free school meals to everybody who's on universal credit. So if, you're, if your family is on benefits, that therefore you would have some help with school meals. And of course, that's only during term time. It's only one meal a day. It's not feeding all your children forever. Um, but Pippa and Dan have been told that that's not going to be in the, the announcement today. It's going to not be included at all. And the, the policy itself, the whole strategy has almost nothing to cover child poverty or the soaring prices and the, the problems that the rest of us are going to have to deal with as well. So... They're talking in here inside the main piece, which is on pages four and five, uh, that there's been a 10% rise in the number of children having free school meals. So get into the comments, ask us your questions. Uh, are you having free school meals? Have your children had to have go free school meals when you when they haven't been there previously? I think Pip has rejoined us now. Can oh, you hear us? I'm sorry. Praise me, frankly. Um, so I just going through briefly about this food strategy that Boris Johnson's going to announce today and the fact that you and Dan are reporting that there's a 1.1 million children that aren't going to be included in that because of the free school meals thing. So can you take us through it and explain it in a bit more detail than me just reading it out from the paper? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the key point on the on the food strategies, it was designed to do to be a sort of a a, a world beating um, strategy, looking at um, food supply and health, including the obesity crisis, the environment, all of those things. When it was uh, announced to us by Boris Johnson, and we've had various incarnations of it over the last few years, and now finally have um, the government's final decision on what bits of uh, it it's accepting. And uh, it was drawn up by a guy called Henry Dimbleby, who founded the Leon chain. And he made lots of quite radical suggestions, like having a salt and sugar tax, recommending a 30% reduction in meat and dairy consumption, expanding school meals to children um, in households, all households that are on universal credit. Um, And the government rejected all of those suggestions and also uh, has, has focused much of it on sort of farming and production um, instead, some say because the Tiverton by-election, obviously farming community is coming up, they were keen to sort of focus on those elements before that because the government's obviously in danger of losing those. But the bit that we focused on in the paper, which I think is particularly egregious, is this recommendation of expanding free school meals. Now, um, the all, all up to seven-year-olds, so years reception years one and year two, get free school meals anyway. But pri- other primary school kids, it's done on means testing. And um, and uh, the because of the way the criteria is applied, it doesn't automatically go to every child that's in the household that might need it. And what the suggestion that Henry Dunbar became up with was that if you extended it to all all families, all children in households up until the age of eighteen, um, where uh, the parents were recipients of universal credit, then you're better, you're more likely. To, uh, to sort of catch all the children that, that need that extra support. But that plan has been rejected by the government for now. Uh, we spoke to sources yesterday who suggested it remained on the table. And if you heard ministers on the morning round this morning on the radio and so on, they were suggesting that actually the focus should be for the cost of living crisis should not be on free school meals, but should be on energy bills. And of course, the government put in a multi-billion pound package there um, initially, but it does seem disappointing that uh, you know one million more kids are now going to be going hungry or going to remain hungry uh, because the government isn't prepared to accept this recommendation. And when you were um, looking into this, investigating it, did you have any indication for them why they're not including this in the food strategy? I mean, the the immediate assumption would be that they decided it was too expensive, for example. Yeah, I mean that was that was part of it. It would be a you know a multi million pound multi-million pound investment um, and there was also some uh, disagreements within within the Tory party as to whether where that should be focused if you were going to spend it on school meals so for example Robert Halfman I spoke to yesterday he's the chair of the education select committee he thought that money would be better targeted at providing the neediest children breakfast some of those would also obviously also qualify for lunch because much of the research suggests that giving children um, food at the start of the day uh, not just obviously beneficial for them to for them health wise and socially, but also uh, improves their academic attainment. And they and they in general, if the children has had a, a child has had breakfast, they're likely to get two GCSE grades higher than they would were they not to have breakfast. Um, there are other, but, but the, the, the main motivation it seems to me is is a financial one, is that it would be extra, incredibly expensive policy, even if you. Um, uh, or it would be an expensive policy even if you just applied it to primary school children and not to secondary school children, as Dimbleby had suggested. But if you look at the big scheme, I mean, what sort of country are we if we're letting our children go hungry? It's like the first point. And secondly, um, if you're you're talking about tens or hundreds of of millions of pounds here, um, the government has already uh, announced a recent £15 billion uh, 
um, programme at, aimed at uh, helping the cost of living crisis with fuel bills, which obviously is really important as well, but suggests that the most vulnerable, uh, those children that even pre-cost of living crisis weren't qualifying for this um, for the free school meals are still being left out. And I think we'll probably hear, can hear much more of it from the likes of Marcus Rashford, the Manchester United football star who's been campaigning on free school meals, and of course, Jack Munro, the food poverty campaigner, let alone any of the politicians that will also be trying to focus on this. Of course, yeah. Now, keep asking your questions, everybody. My daughter's on free school meals because she's in, she's in the youngest, uh, she's in year one. So she's in this, you know, every child under a certain age gets free school meals because they've decided that good nutrition at that age makes a huge difference later in life. Um, but I could afford to feed her. So is that reasonable? Perhaps we should be means testing uh, free school meals throughout school rather than just doing it, uh, people on benefits when they're a bit older and over seven. But this is the sort of thing, Pippa, like you've said, that the footballer Marcus Rashford sort of campaigned about during the lockdowns. And when he asked for free school meals to be extended to families who were on earning less than £20,000 after you taking benefits into account, the government refused twice to do that then and then had to back down twice again didn't they so mm. i mean what are the chances do we think that you know like you said mr rashford and ms monroe may well be reactivated um but what are the chances the government's going to be able to stick to this well it's hard to say isn't it because at the time of the two uh, rashford campaigns that was about extending free school meals during the summer holidays because children obviously would then have a six-week gap where previously they qualified for them and there's no guarantees that they're going to get any hot meal during the summer holidays. And mm. it was during the pandemic, so there was, I think, a particular public sentiment that um, that, that, that was really important at that time, um, more than any other, when so many families were hit financially, that that extra provision was there. Um, this is obviously a little bit different, and it, the government tends, uh, or this government has tended to prefer kind of like one-off programmes than anything that would involve committing it to to um, a big financial outlay over a long period. So, for example, the free school meals of the summer holidays, they could say, okay, here's a pot of several tens of millions of pounds, which would cover that, but it's a one-off, they happen to do it twice. Um, whereas increasing the threshold um, for uh, families in general to free school meals, meaning a million more kids could be could be um, could be provided for, is a much more expensive business. And actually, Dimbleby recognised this when he made his first when he, he he announced his updated food strategy last summer. He acknowledged that the cost of extending it would be eight hundred million quid a year. So he suggested instead raising the income threshold to twenty thousand pounds, whereas currently. Household and Universal Credit in England must earn less than 7,400, um, regardless of number of children in the family. So he that would bring the cost down to a couple of hundred um, million to 544 million. So he recognises that there's a that there is a financial issue for the government here. But it comes back to my original point, which is if you're spending billions of pounds on supporting people during the cost of living crisis, then why aren't children, hungry children, your priority? Yeah, they do sort of perhaps matter a little bit more than you know, a tax cut at the petrol pumps. We all want a tax cut at the petrol pumps. But um, I think feeding children, like you say, may be something that's going to have a bit more impact, especially politically. It's going to work really well for him, I would have thought, to say, you know, we're going to be feeding, making this a priority is feeding the youngest and, and, and those most in need, the youngest and the poorest. That would be important, you'd have thought. Now, keep asking your questions, everybody. How do you feel about all this? Do you think the government should be coughing up half a billion pounds um, to feed the nation's children. Lots of people do tend to say, it looks up to your parent 
to feed the children. And you shouldn't have children if you can't afford to feed them and look after them, can't care for them properly. And that may seem fair enough to lots of people. But on page five, there uh, is a story which is revealing that the number of children eligible for these free school meals has shot up in the past few years uh, by up to 80% in Cumbria, for example. And that means that parents that could afford to feed their children when their children came along, by the time they get to school, are finding themselves so impoverished that then it becomes a problem. So it's not just a case of people must feed their own children. You shouldn't have them uh, if you can't afford them. It's the fact that the affordability changes as your circumstances may change in life. You can be ill. You can lose a job. Some kind of tragedy can befall your family. Lots of things can happen. Um, so parents you know, are pretty amazing people in lots of ways, Pippa. I know you and I agree on that, but they still can't predict the future. And it seems like there's this growing problem in places, it includes London and the West Midlands, with these pockets of poverty, which are just getting bigger, which means the problem's going to get bigger if it doesn't get fixed. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this is one isolated aspect of it, Susie. I mean, free school meals, although clearly very important, are one of a number of areas where parents and families are struggling. And um, that's why the government announced this extra £15 billion support package for energy bills um, come the autumn. And that will be a big help. And that was the right thing for them to have done. And I think it's important that when they do the right thing, that, that we say that they've done the right thing. What they haven't do, done, though, is said what support's going to be there the following year. And there were, of course, uh, suggestions that they should, they should allocate that support in different ways. So they decided to give people um, 600 quid off their energy bills and not have to, to pay it back. And there'll also be a, a discount on a rebate on their, on their council tax. Um, which for the poorest families uh, with the extra support that's also available there will be over a thousand pounds of support a year which will just about make up for the the 1200 pound universal credit cut that the government imposed uh, last year so um you know there is some support coming but i think there's been a there's been a big campaign and the mirror has been amongst those calling for this um for that for that 20 pound a week uc cut to be reversed obviously it was brought in in the first place to help during the pandemic but clearly it was addressing a need and uh, as I say, the, the government seems to be resistant to um, to having any um, to any long term commitment financially, because of course the public finances are are not in in the best of places. We've, we had figures out this morning that showed that in the last quarter there's a 0.3 percent um, reduction in growth, uh, two quarters in a row. As you'll be aware, uh, of negative growth equals a recession. Um, and uh, at the same time, inflation is soaring above 9%, probably going to hit 10% the next time we get the figures. And we're all feeling that, uh, whether it's at the petrol pump, whether it's at the, the shops when you're buying your groceries, whether you're buying kids' school uniform, all the other sort of essentials of everyday life. So um, free school meals are clearly really important. And I have to say that the government hasn't said that this is off the table. They've just said that the support is likely to come in different um, in a different format other than through the through the food strategy but they've managed to put it off for now and it's po possibly one of the more eye-catching and emotive elements of um, the cost of living crisis if children are going hungry yeah and it's a really easy open goal of course for the opposition to say the Tories don't care now mm -hmm. Tina says I have to pay 100 pounds a month for both my girls to have a school meal even though my partner's working with bills rises it's still a struggle um and £100 a month, you know, it's 50 quid a month for, for two children to have one hot meal a day. I mean, if you were feeding them at home, you could probably just about afford to do that 
um, a bit cheaper than that. So, but the school dinner prices do seem to be a bit expensive as well. But that's because so many of them are outsourced outside the school. Some of them don't have school kitchens anymore. Or the kitchens they do have are just for reheating something they've bought in from outside. My daughter's school gives them pizzas and not very healthy pizzas. I'm not terribly chuffed by. But it's not much fun to have to pay huge amounts of money. Uh, but you do need to, you know, give them something to eat at school. And uh, that can obviously be the best way to have a good, warm, healthy meal in the middle of the day. And it's a bit difficult. But uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Tina. Now, we do need to move on to another brilliant Tory policy. And today, charities are taking the government to court again over the plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. Uh, so last week, a court ruled that this plane could take off. and It could go ahead. But today there's an appeal being heard in court in London. Now, we're told that of the first 130 or so refugees who have been selected for this plane trip, all of them have or have let it be known they are planning to lodge an objection uh, to it, citing, among other things, anti-slavery legislation. Now, Pippa, can you explain this to us? Because these are laws that were brought in by Theresa May, as I understand it, to stop people trafficking. Yeah. And the people who have been trafficked are now using those laws to protect themselves from being trafficked again, which seems reasonable enough to, on the face of it and kind of what the point of the laws was for when the Tories brought it in and voted for it. So why are they now campaigning, it would appear, or talking about making it easier to turn people into slaves again? Well, it's really interesting. And it's, I'm, I'm, you know, for one, going to be really interested to hear what Theresa May says about this, because you're right, she made this flagship legislation when she was prime minister, and it's something she campaigned on throughout her time as Home Secretary to get the law changed. Eventually, it happened. And this, this uh, modern slavery legislation was, as you, as you say, designed to protect vulnerable people that were trafficked to the UK and then um, made to work um and sort of you know put up in in really illegally uh, but put up in in really sort of uh, awful conditions and effectively treated like slaves um and the suggestion here from the government seems to be that that some um migrants are using that modern slavery legislation as um a way to stay in the UK so not for not because they have themselves been trafficked necessarily but because they're using every trick in the book um to stay here um, and of course, uh, that's what the government tells us. That's not what the charities that actually work with these people or some of the lawyers tell us. But the background to all this is that the government, from day one when it announced this policy said of sending um, uh, asylum seekers to Rwanda, said that it was like, like to be thwarted by their words, lefty lawyers. Now, in my view, if something is illegal, it's illegal. And uh, it's right that lawyers, you know, if our laws are if our laws are such that lawyers find that the government's in breach of them, then then you know that's that should be upheld. Um, if the government wants to change the law, it's another matter. But it almost felt like the government was up for a fight with what it calls lefty lawyers, because as you know, as we all know, they all love a culture war and and you know bashing lawyers that want to try and thwart their hardline immigration plans. Um, sounds like sounds like sort of a perfect example of, of what we've seen from them. Um, however, the High Court, as you said, the, some of these organisations, including the, the PCS union, which represents about 80 percent of border force staff, who are the ones that would obviously have to to implement uh, the policy. Um, it failed in their High Court bid to get an injunction on Friday. But there's a second overarching case due to be heard in the High Court today after Asylum Aid, which is a refugee charity, applied for an urgent interim injunction. 
Um, they're planning to fight it. And we've been told by Home Office sources that that flight will leave tomorrow as planned, even if only one migrant is on the plane. An interesting thing. Oh, good, because that won't be a complete waste of flipping money, will it? Well, tens of millions of pounds. I mean, 120 million quid the government spent so far, which, of course, is one of the arguments against this policy is that it would be incredibly expensive and not get the results that the government say it wants to get. But 130 people were originally told that they were going to be on the plane. Um, we've been told that that is now likely to be uh, fewer than 10 asylum seekers, if it takes off at all, because obviously it depends I on the I'll just give them a private jet at this point. Well, it's um, it's uh, also the case that the government has basically said that if just one asylum seeker is on the plane, it will still take off, which seems absolutely ridiculous. It is effectively a private jet. Um, but like I say, it's about um, it, the backdrop to this is about the government wanting to present a tough immigration policy to address the concerns of some of their core voters that they need to shore, shore up support, support amongst. It doesn't seem to be a workable policy. It might not be a legal policy. It's certainly a very expensive policy and there's lots of opposition to it. Um, it's designed, they say, as a deterrent to people taking small boats across the channel. It doesn't seem to have worked in that aim so far because so many people are still doing that. And if genuinely there was a policy proposal that um, that had the prospect of saving lives by by preventing people coming across the channel, then that would be a good thing. For example, some of the suggestions that have been uh, made are having processing centres in, uh, in the north of France so that people that want to seek asylum here can start that process there rather than crossing the channel and putting their lives at risk. That would depend. And the second one is is working more closely with the French government on, on properly policing the beaches so that people don't leave and put their lives at risk in the first place. But of course, both of those depend on having the British government having a good relationship with the French government, which frankly, at the moment, it does not. And there seems to be very little, um, very little desire among some wings of the Tory government to sort of reach out and rebuild those bridges, particularly at the top between Boris Johnson and Emmanuel Macron, because the French seem to be like a you know, a handy, a handy opponent. It's very useful for the government, it feels like, to be able to turn around and say it was all the French's fault, rather than thinking properly better policy long term, which could make a difference, which could save lives, but could also live up to our moral and legal responsibilities to take asylum seekers, our share of asylum seekers here in the UK. I think arguably, Pippa, it's been the policy of the leaders of Great Britain and the United Kingdom to blame the French for everything for about a thousand years. I mean, go back to sort of, you know, William the Conqueror, you'll find people blaming the French. So <clears throat> it's just, it's, it's, it seems to be our mindset. We just want to blame the French for stuff. Now, Steve says, good morning, Steve. This policy seems to have lost all sense of compassion. People are not objects to be shifted around. Quite right. Uh, and today, interestingly, elsewhere, because he wasn't on this show, Boris Johnson said, and I quote, I do, when he was asked about this, I do think it's the job of government to stop people breaking the law. Just going to leave that one with you, Pippa. Um <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for your comments on that. Now, we're going to move on because we've got to wrap up uh, today. But there is some good news in the world. And here it is. Now, you might not think this is strictly good, but it's so damn funny. Uh, we had to share it with you and because it adds to the gaiety of the nation, which is one of the roles of a newspaper, especially after those two stories we've just had. So post-pandemic, there's been such a massive surge in weddings that there is now a shortage it would appear a national shortage not just of petrol and ppe and people to pick salad leaves and all the rest of it there's a shortage of men prepared to strip off for a hindu 
Um, now, Pippa, I'm not really sure that I quite agree with this because every time the sun comes out, and we will see it this week with the heat wave that's coming, there is an abundance of men prepared to strip off. <laughs> Let's face it. That's that. Those are the men no one really wants to look at after they've stripped off, unfortunately. Um, so is this an indication, though, do you think that because of this shortage, perhaps Hindus are just going to have to become classier affairs? Well, you know what? I could make a very serious political point here and say that the government keeps telling us that we've got higher employment in the UK than we have had for decades. And there is definitely a labour crisis, part of that because of Brexit, because there's so many Eastern Europeans that used to work here that now don't wanted to go home. It's harder for anybody to come here to work here. So maybe what we need to do is have a special visa for, um, for, for foreign strippers to fill this key occupation so that if people want to come over here and work as a stripper, the, the, those hen parties uh, can, still, can still find one. But well, maybe that really, really would break the people traffickers model, business model, there, if you just sign up. But let's, but let's seriously, I mean, each to their own, Susie, but personally, my hen do was a very sedate affair by comparison. I can't, I mean, the thought of like a, a man I'd never met before getting his kit off and gyrating in front of me has never appealed and maybe I'm just really boring but uh, I have to say that this doesn't worry me hugely I'm sorry <laughs> if there are people watching for whom it's going to ruin your Hindu but I think I would you know I would be opting out for this for me I would see I would see it personally as a lucky escape that no one was able to arrange a stripper for my do well there is that yeah uh, my Hindu was also sedate but uh, I did get a stripper once when I left my job as a defense reporter and I was much 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 younger uh, in Plymouth and my friends bought me a stripper and it was horrific it scarred me for quite a long time. I have no idea what nationality the gentleman was because I never actually spoke to him. He just did things that I don't really want to recall. Um, <clears throat> but there is, so just saying that story as well, there's also another terrible shortage, which is of willy-shaped straws, which apparently they're very much in demand at Hindus. I don't know why, because no one really likes seeing those either. But there we are. Um, so if you are out there, if you have a Fitbod, uh, and uh, and you wish to make some extra money on the side, perhaps to feed your starving children, then according to today's Daily Mirror, what you need to do is strip off and oil up and start walking yourself around there. But, you know, I do think perhaps that may be a way of breaking the tr people traffickers business model. If we put a big sign up on the beaches in Calais and said, come to Britain, you can get naked and um, have a Hindu fawn over you. I think actually a lot of people would turn around and go back to just about anywhere else rather than go to a British Hindu. But anyway, um, thank you everybody for taking part. Thank you, Pippa, for joining us and explaining all that to us. Uh, keep your eye on the news today because there'll be announcements about the food strategy and about that court case about the uh, Rwandan asylum seeker policy. And do join us again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda. Bye-bye, everyone.